Welcome to Sharkpedia, where your hosts, Megan and Amani, a couple of shark researchers that want to bring the science to you. We're creating a space to learn all things sharks and their relatives, answer your questions, and learn from the legends in the field. Get ready to jump in. Let's dive deep into the world of sharks. Hello, Sharkies. We are back with another Sharkpedia episode. We are so excited to have Dr. Fraser here today. We're going to be talking about tooth regeneration, which I am super psyched about. Dr. Fraser, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Okay, so my name is Gareth Fraser. Uh, I'm an assistant professor at the University of Florida, uh, Department of Biology. I'm currently in Northern Ireland, uh, so I'm on a bit of a tour of Europe right now. I head to Italy next week for a conference. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, so I study tooth development uh, and evolution more specifically. Uh, my background is in um, vertebrate paleontology. I started my undergraduate degree studying paleontology and evolution. Uh, moved on to do my master's in uh, genetics, and I was actually working on sharks uh, quite a bit during my master's. Uh, and then I actually so studied genetics, and then I wanted to com- combine uh, development and genetics by studying Evo Devo my PhD. So that's where I sort of really got involved with understanding a bit more about the genetics behind tooth development and why fish make teeth uh, and how they regenerate and that sort of stuff. So I, so from there, I've sort of based my career on that sort of principle of, of tooth development and regeneration. And we've we spanned, I think, quite far out from there now. But, um, but my sort of primary focus is still tooth development and regeneration uh, on sharks, typically. Super cool. We're really excited to go over this paper. I learned a lot of things longer than a list, probably. Every new sentence, I think, was a new thing I was learning. So I'm really excited to have our listeners kind of get some more information from you and really understand how cool teeth are in fish. So, Megan, would you like to introduce the article that we're going to be reading today and then also read us the summary? Yeah, you got it. We're going over Dr. Fraser's research, the dental lamina, an essential structure for perpetual tooth regeneration in sharks. We love regeneration in sharks. We just had um, Yulia on our podcast a couple weeks ago, and we are really excited to kind of dive into actually how all those teeth are regenerating. So the summary for this paper is methods of studying evolutionary development and regenerative biology have been improving over the past few years. This paper utilizes the embryonic small-spotted cat shark, Skylorhinus canicula, using new techniques that allow them to research key developmental and regenerative processes that classical models cannot. The development of shark teeth and their subsequent regeneration is a lesser-studied area of research, and Fraser et al. explore the role of dental lamina, the tissue that is the first evidence of teeth in an embryo, and in the development of highly regenerative dentition in sharks. Sharks regenerate whole teeth at a time as opposed to other systems such as the Murin model, where incisors exhibit continuous renewal and growth at the same tooth. Studying shark teeth on a genetic level can provide important context into the evolution of vertebrate tooth regeneration. So we're going to go over the crazy, crazy adaptation that sharks have to just keep replacing their entire tooth. So cool. So this paper is a symposium paper, 
which is the first time that we're having any sort of article on like this. So can you just explain to our listeners what a symposium paper is? Sure, yeah. So symposium uh, or symposium papers are papers that are typically associated with a symposium. Uh, and so in our case, uh, a colleague and, and I were able to um, collect uh, a bunch of experts in the field of tooth biology together. Uh, and we presented a symposium at SIGBI, uh, which is the Society of Integrative and Comparative Biology uh, Conference. And that was, I think, in Austin before the pandemic started, so January 2020 or something like that. Um, and yeah, so uh, so yeah, so basically what happens is the, there's a journal associated with that, so Integrative, integrative and Comparative Biology. Uh, and the idea is that, you know, symposia uh, typically will, um, will collect together some of those experts and they will write uh, a paper sometimes together so we did uh, we, we we actually published i think two papers in that some uh, in that uh, journal um one was a sort of a, a collection of all that we know up to date sort of you know general information about tooth biology from all the experts that we sort of collected uh, as part of the symposium uh, and then uh, individual groups would write their own papers uh, associated with that topic so yeah so this is a paper that that i wrote um as a sort of summary of my work and uh, focus primarily on the, the shark dental lamina, uh, which is a really important structure uh, that is, is able to regenerate, or at least is, is, is part of the structure that's capable of regeneration of teeth in sharks. That is awesome. So can you help us out with some of the terminology? You explained that sharks are odontodes, right? and that um, there are differences between odontodes and true teeth. Can you explain what odontodes are and what the differences are between those things? Yeah, sure. So uh, so all teeth are odontodes, right? But odontodes also sort of expand beyond teeth, right? So if you think about um, all of the vertebrates that have, that have ever lived, right? So including fossil uh, vertebrates as well, uh, some of those would have had skin appendages or, or skin coverings that would have contained a dentine, uh, uh, kind of structure or a dentine and enamel structure, uh, so both or, or just dentine, um, and some bone potentially. And so the collection of those components are what we term as an odontode, right? So something that has uh, dentine enamel or just dentine, sometimes just enamel, uh, maybe with or without a bony component. So it's any sort of tooth-like material that's, that's found uh, in the mouth or outside the mouth. So that's an odontode. And so true teeth, in, in, my, uh, in my sort of strange definition of what true teeth are, and we don't really know what true teeth really are, but in my definition, true teeth are teeth that have a very sort of characteristic oral or pharyngeal uh, um, characters that mean that they, they contain this structure called the dental lamina, which enables their continuous regeneration, or at least their, their partial or multiple regenerative capacities. Um, so not all odontos will have a dental lamina, but teeth do. And I think that, that I'm trying to sort of define teeth as a very sort of unique structure, given the fact that they have this dental lamina and associated tissues that other odontos may not have. That's not to say that uh, other odontos don't have the ability to regenerate. There might be just slightly, a slightly different mechanism involved. And so the way that I sort of look to, to distinguish those two is that, um, you know, teeth and dermal denticles in sharks are all odontos. Uh, but uh, but dermal denticles aren't necessarily teeth, right? So they're just different. 
right? They, they don't regenerate in the same way. There's not a dental amnor associated with de uh, dermal denticles. Um, it's more of a reparative regeneration. So if a denticle is lost or it gets to the end of its shelf life, so it's shed um, via whatever mechanism that, uh, that's involved, um, or there's some wounding and denticles and uh, uh, the skin has to regenerate and then denticles have to reform, that's a different mechanism of regeneration to the teeth. So the teeth are on this kind of autonomous uh, sort of uh, conveyor belt almost. And that's the, that's the case of all teeth that regenerate, right? So uh, you have one tooth in the jaw and it's replaced by another tooth that's coming. And in the sharks and in, in lots of other vertebrates, for example, reptiles and amphibians, uh, it may be that you have several different um, generations of teeth that are being made ahead of function, right? And so the, the crazy thing about shark teeth is that if you section through or you look through the jaw of a shark, you'll see not only the functional tooth positions, but the teeth behind it. And all those teeth behind it are the regenerative teeth, so the replacement teeth. They're all within that dental lamina. Uh, and they're all sort of being made in slightly different stages. So it's actually a stage series of development from a functional tooth that's attached to the jaw through stages of, of different, different types of cusp formation all the way down to the end of the lamina where you have nothing, just a ball of cells, which contains stem cells. Uh, and, th and that little ball of cells will, will eventually make a new generation. And so those teeth are sort of added to that conveyor belt, a shed uh, at the end of that conveyor belt after functionality, right? So it's just the, the, the idea is that, that teeth regenerate in a very different way to other odontodes. I think that's the point. Does, does the dental lamina cover the whole like jaw that the teeth are in? Yeah, in sharks, in sharks it does, and in some other vertebrates too, it, it does, um, but not in all vertebrates, right? So if you think about all vertebrates that have teeth, um, their dental lamina may be associated with an individual tooth, right? So every tooth will have a little bit of epithelium under the jaw or within the jaw, and that little spit of cells uh, is called the dental lamina, and that will make a new tooth for that one position. But sharks okay. are kind of interesting in that they have this, what we call a continuous and permanent dental lamina. So it's, it's, it, it covers the entirety of the jaw. So if you were to take off the lower jaw of a shark and look down on it, um, what you would see is the functional tooth positions and nothing else. You'd see skin that covers all of that area. And it's that skin, actually, in between the, the functional teeth and the tongue, that skin is the sort of the, the, the dental lamina that's diving deep into the jaw uh, because those, those teeth that you can't see are present within that tissue. Um, and they're developing sort of, you know, in that sort of recess of the cartilage. So it's kind of interesting, actually, the, the, the anatomy of this, yeah. this whole thing. But, but the, the dental lamina shark is, is incredibly big compared to most other vertebrates, right? So it covers the entirety of the jaw. So it's jaw-wide. Um, and all the teeth are then connected uh, by this continuous dental lamina. Very Got interesting. <laughs> so if you were someone who, like, didn't know the word dental lamina, like for just a regular lay person, and you looked at a person's gums, not gums, you looked at a shark's mouth, the mm -hmm. dental lamina would probably be what you would call gums, even though that's not the correct term for it. Uh, well, maybe not, right? So if you if you look, and, and, and I'm sure some of your listeners have seen this, right? They've either seen firsthand the great yeah. white's mouth, or they've looked at pictures of the great white's mouth. What you'll see between the teeth is this kind of pink stuff, right? Right. And so that that's interesting. So that pink stuff in between the teeth and the great white, for example, between those functional positions, that's not really dental lamina. Oh, so the dental okay. lamina sort of dives sort of like behind those functional teeth and behind. So, so the, they do have gums, and actually the gums in the shark are also this kind of you know keratin-rich, uh, hard stuff. Basically, it's kind of connective tissue and fibrous connective tissue. Right. Uh, and that's the same material that helps to attach the tooth to the jaw itself. But the dental lamina is really soft and fleshy, and it's an it's it's an epithelial uh, tissue 
that's behind those functional teeth. So it's kind of the spongy stuff that also contains taste buds, by the way. But it's the spongy stuff that you can sort of like touch and probably depress and 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 play with behind the functional teeth. So if you were to if you were to push you know slightly harder, you could probably feel some of those tooth positions kind of almost oh. ready to pop out, right? Cool. But it's quite, but it's quite deep, right? So, yeah. Uh, and you know, if you think about it, some of your listeners may may already have seen this, but if you take a a, a jaw and you prep the jaw, so you've got all the soft tissue removed. Um, if you look inside the jaw, you can probably see that the teeth, the replacement teeth, are kind of folded into this kind of recess, this kind of furrow that's sort of like at the at the deep base of the cartilage on the inside of the jaw. And that's where the dental lamina sits in that sort of recess, right? So it sort of carves out this kind of little area, kind of a niche where the new teeth are being formed. Um, so, yeah. That's really cool. I'm fascinated by this. This is really yeah, cool. Yeah, thank you so much. That was such a good explanation. And I, I definitely learned something new today. <laughs> we're not even, we're at the 14 minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> so, how is the ectomesenchymal condensate related to the dental lamina? You bring that up a couple times. Oh boy! Now you've touched on something quite tricky. So okay, okay so the dental lamina itself. Okay, so I should back up a bit. So tooth development itself starts in all vertebrates. Uh, in, in, it's a, sort of a collaboration between two cell types. You have the overlying dental epithelium, right, or oral epithelium, as it, as it is before it becomes competent to make teeth. Uh, and this underlying sort of mesenchymal tissue, right? It's called ectomesenchyme in teeth, in craniofacial biology, because uh, it actually it, it kind of emanates uh, as neural crest from the, uh, from the neural crest, which is ectoderm, essentially. This is getting really complicated now, and this is very um, kind of complicated developmental biology. But essentially, the cells that migrate, so these neural crest cells that migrate from the neural tube closure, which are ectodermal, uh, migrate down into the jaws and other parts of the head during very early embryogenesis. And it sort of contributes. It's not the, it's not the, the entirety of the ectomesenchyme, but it contributes to that tissue. So it's the sort of underlying cell layer that is basically underlying that, that epithelium, right? And so if you think about teeth, teeth are a... Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a beautiful sort of collaboration between these two tissue types because the, up, the upper layer, the epithelium, will become oral epithelium uh, and will become dental epithelium and it starts to thicken. So once it sort of activates uh, the competence to make teeth, so it initiates tooth development, this upper layer will start to thicken, right? And that thickening will basically pocket into the mesenchyme below, right? And that mesenchyme will then start to condense. So a lot of those mesenchymal cells will start to condense and concentrate around that bulb of cells that will start to invade uh, invade the mesenchyme, right? So it's it, it that starts the whole process of tooth development. So that sort of three dimensional blob is the first tooth germ, right? Is this in all age stages, or is this just in neonate development? No, that's a great question. So, uh, so the mesenchyme itself is really important uh, for all stages of tooth development, right? And so what's interesting is that the, the, the upper layer, the epithelium, will, will actually, some of those cells, not all, but some of those cells will um, uh, differentiate into the ameloblasts. So they're the cells that will lay down the enamel of the tooth, right? And the mesenchymal cells, some of those cells will differentiate into things, pulp and other things, but, but importantly, uh, they'll differentiate into the odontoblasts. And these are the cells that lay down dentine. And in order to get a true tooth, right, so a tooth that's made of epithelium, uh, enamel and dentine, you need both those cell types to be laying down. It's 
a little bit more complicated than fishes because actually the odontoblasts, so these mesenchymal cells, have the propensity to make both tissues. It's so strange. And then the and then the epithelial cells will sort of lay down this kind of like interesting cap on top of that. <laughs> what? It's, yeah, it's, it's I don't think I ever yeah. knew that shark so, teeth could be so complicated. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's more complicated than even I want to uh, want to sort of understand. But um, but yeah, so it, but anyway, so but the important thing is you need those two cell types to make a tooth, right? Mm-hmm. So you need the epithelium, the overlying epithelium, and the underlying mesenchyme, and those two tissue types have to be there together. And it's important because the signals, so the gene networks that are involved in making a tooth, um, will signal between those two tissue layers. So they're basically to orchestrate the whole process, right? So, uh, so if you don't have, and we, we know this from lots of studies in, in mammalian biology and even human syndromes, that if some of those genes don't signal in the right cells, uh, you misalign your teeth or you get no teeth, oh. essentially, right? Um, yeah. And so, so if, you, if you think about a sharp dentition, it's incredibly precise in its formation, in its patterning. And so if any of those things go awry, right, the, 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 the chances of all those teeth sort of like forming in that precise way start to shift. And so you might get a slightly weird dentition. So it's really imperative, I think, if, you, if, you, if you're an animal, whether you're a shark or anything else that has a very specific diet, you need your teeth to be formed in a very specific way, right? Do you see mutations where, those, where that happens, where they don't match up and then the teeth aren't developing correctly? Uh, in sharks? Yeah, you do. Yeah. And it's rare. And you and, and you can imagine why it's rare, because if you're a shark that doesn't have the right dentition, you might not be able to eat. And so you might not survive so long. Right. Um, yeah, right. So, yeah, but you do see them. There are there are reports of uh, lots of reports of um, these kind of pathological conditions in sharks where the, the dentine um, or the enamel haven't formed properly or you get some some divide, some divisions in the, in the actual patterning of the teeth itself. Um, or you get damage, right? And so that's the other thing that we see quite, well, not, reg, not it's still quite rare, but it's more common than these sort of syndromic um, issues where the, the shark jaw is damaged somehow by um, uh, fishing gear or uh, propeller damage or, uh, you know, a fight with a seal or something. Um, but you do see damage uh, more so. And then actually what happens is the shark dentition uh, and the dental lamina itself will try to repair that, that damage uh, and often it's not successful. Interesting. Oh my gosh, wow. that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of all these dental issues and adaptations, in your introduction, you mentioned how dental development has evolved between taxa, including sequentially initiated mammalian molars and continuously growing mouse incisors. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is an advantage to having continuously sequential teeth as we see in sharks over other adaptations? Uh, yeah. So, so I mean, I, th- I think the one thing that we that you, you guys mentioned in the summary um, is that you know sharks are able to make whole teeth, right? Now that's huge because we have lots of conditions where in, in mammals, for example, you're able to sort of add to a tooth, right? So an incisor, for example, of a, of a mouse or rat, these incisors continue to grow. That's why they're so good at eating through your cables and your walls, right? Um, or your or your pantry or whatever it is, but those those <laughs> incisors, yeah, I know, right? And so those incisors continually grow throughout their life, uh, and they're sort of worn down by the the way they eat and how they and, and what they eat. Um, and actually, there's a shear surface based on the fact that they have enamel on the outer edge and not on the inner edge, so it's able to create that shear surface, right? So the the teeth that can essentially act like scissors, right? Um, oh, anyway, but, I didn't but know that. that. <laughs> yeah, so but, but that, that continuous progression of uh, that's regeneration. It, it's a similar type of regeneration, right? We have stem cell niches that um, allow new cells to sort of enter that sort of 
that cell line to produce an amyloid dentine or whatever it is they need to make uh, in support of that tooth. But it's essentially the same tooth sort of being added to. So it's a continuously grown tooth. Um, whereas in sharks, they're actually re regenerating new teeth every generation, right? Every time. So in some sharks, that's every two weeks, right? Which is pretty incredible. Um, so crazy. So yeah, so that's, I mean, there are, it depends on the shark species. Like a great white that makes those quite big teeth uh, they're probably made every 300 days, maybe maybe every year. So I don't know what 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 the sort of process is. We haven't really been able to get a good handle on the rate of tooth replacement in some of the big sharks. Um, but yeah, so if you're making brand new teeth, that's really huge. And, and so biomedically speaking, that's really important because what that means is that there is a mechanism in nature that makes new whole teeth, right? And as a human yeah. species, uh, we would like more teeth probably, right? So we're growing older, our diets are getting worse. Uh, and so, um, you know, medical science is allowing us to stay stay, uh, stay alive for longer, which means that probably we're getting to a point where we might need a third or fourth generation of teeth, right? Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, we could, you know, and so if you, if you can study s some things like sharks that are able to make whole new teeth, that means you can sort of, you know, basically try and find out how they do that and see if there's a way you can sort of, you know, uh, sort of trigger that in humans at some point. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was actually going to ask you that. Like, do you think there's a way that we could genetically put into our DNA to like replace more teeth? <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's, you know, so a, a bunch of groups around the world are doing this, right? Whether it's studying mice or, or studying cells. So actually sort of like taking components of, of the, the tooth systems of the cells, culturing them to try and see if they can sort of force tooth development in, in culture. Um, but actually I'm going sort of like the other route and looking at you know, fish that do it naturally, right? So how are sharks able to do it? And then compare that to human tissues to say, okay, if sharks can do it and they make new teeth continuously through life, why don't humans do that? And so can we compare those those same cells, the same genes to find out what it is in, in, in the human sort of system or, or human biology more generally that, that's removed from that system? And that could give us those clues to suggest that maybe those are the things we need to turn back on in humans. So the, the good news is humans can make new teeth, right? We, we already have yeah. two sets. Uh, so we have the capacity to regenerate our dentition once. Why do we stop, right? And even that sort of that, that you know, in adolescence, we're continuing that process of tooth regeneration because we're adding molars to the back of our jaw, right? So if you have, right. if you're lucky enough to have, or unlucky enough to have a wisdom tooth, that's the, that's the sort of the, the extended sort of um, capacity of the dental amount to make a new tooth. So if you think about molars, right, molar one, two, three, they, they develop in sequence. And at the back of the, the jaw, there's a little blob of cells that is essentially the dental lamina that doesn't really know where to go next, because in humans, we don't have that, that fourth tooth. And so it just starts to break down, um, like all other dental epithelium, uh, it starts to break down over time. Um, so yeah, this so the, 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 the possibilities are that we could sort of, you know, harvest some of those cells at the back of the jaw, or associated with other teeth that we're losing or removed for whatever reason. Uh, culture them and then basically start the process again and then re-implant those cells back into the gaps that we need to fill <laughs> what? so am i a superior human being because i have all four of my wisdom teeth that grew in I, I th or am i just unlucky no i think that it w that means that we're not advanced humans right so it seems that <laughs> we don't need those teeth necessarily right so they're actually a problem right. our jaws are not quite big enough to kind of house those right so yeah. if you have them i have all four too and it's a problem but yeah um so some humans don't make that third molar right which is very right. crazy because you know the jaws just can't physically house that. Yeah, and so yeah, so it could be that the the sort of the evolution of humans are sort of losing teeth. So we're losing that position. So if you have them, maybe you're not, not such an advanced human. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a loser. Then <laughs> <laughs> I am too, right? So I. Have them too, so. <sighs> I knew someone once that had seven wisdom teeth. 
oh, that's brutal. Ow. <laughs> and had to get them all removed and like... Of course. But, you know, you, you touched on a really good point though. There, there are some humans that have weird teeth, right? And so they might have a third generation or at least the start of a third generation. And so it, it could be that our, our systems uh, are sort of, you know, predisposed to making new generations of teeth. And then it, for some reason that, you know... They, they stop. Most people stop them after two, but in some cases they kind of keep adding and they're like, oh, what's going on? Right. But that's not natural, <laughs> oh right? I mean, it's natural if you're, if you're a vertebrate, you know, think about the evolution of vertebrates, but not as a human, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So I think you answered one of my questions, which, which was we don't really know why, like what the differences are in between why, you know, we only have two, well, I guess one replacement mm-hmm. of teeth in comparison to, sh- to sharks or other animals. We just don't really know why we don't have uh, that. It's you know, it's a good question. We don't really know why. We have a good idea. We have a good idea. Uh, we just don't know mm-hmm. the, the specifics behind that sort of evolutionary process. But um, I guess the, the best guess is that if you're a mammal, right, like us, uh, and you know, mammals evolved um, uh, a dentition that, depending on the on the group of animal, group of mammal, uh, they eat a very specific diet, right? And so, we, what we think is that actually, if you want your teeth to occlude. And so occlusion is a term that refers to the teeth coming together, right? So your upper teeth and lower teeth coming together uh, as a sort of unit, right? Um, if you think about your molars, if you kind of grind your teeth, they should they should come together perfectly and you're able to grind down sort of plant matter, right? So we're omnivorous. We eat lots of different things. Um, but if you think about a cow or a ruminant or something that eats a very specific diet, so like just grasses or, you know, silica-rich grasses or something, um, if they're, uh, if their teeth don't occlude, they, they may not be able to process that grass and get the nutrients out that they need, right? And so that occlusion, the, the coming together of the teeth is quite important. Now, um, what we think is that mammals require that process more so than more teeth. And so um, if you reduce the number of uh, rounds of tooth replacement, then you're more likely to get that occlusion and keep it, right? If you were to regenerate your teeth more times, the chances of those teeth misaligning are quite high right so in order for those teeth to actually operate together you probably don't want to replace them so much right and so that's that makes such good sense yeah and so that's kind of like our best guess as to why this may have happened and you know humans are mammals you know we're sort of you know you know i I guess derive mammals in the sense that our teeth can do different things but and we have different shaped teeth but essentially we're sort of using that same sort of guide right so that same evolutionary guide where you you know you lose the number of replacements in order to keep that that grinding uh propensity up that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about when I'm at the dentist and they do fillings and then they have to like shave it down yeah, so that my exactly. teeth can like grind yeah. together correctly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, oh, and, and but you, you notice it too. If they don't quite shave it down enough and you, you get it to hurts. bite down, it's like, oh, that feels so strange and it's not right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, so then you think of sharks, you go, well, I'm sure there are sharks that occlude. Not really. Sharks don't really occlude, right? So they might have malariform teeth, these grinding teeth, but they're really there to sort of break or to crush things uh, and not not so finely grind things down between the teeth, right? Right. Sand tiger teeth to me are so funny because they just are like not formed together at all they're just like mm-hmm. going in every direction <laughs> exactly. in the yeah but but they, they don't come together right so if you ever see them eat no they, they, those those teeth never really come together and if they did that would be a problem because they might sort of like shear or break or something yeah so. no kidding i also wondered you said that teeth between taxa so like between fish and mammals are mm-hmm. made of the same mineral composition does this surprise you that we haven't seen 
teeth created of different mineral compositions? We've just kind of That's a really good question. conserved it throughout evolution. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that term conservation is, is a term that really refers to that sort of sharing of, of both genetic and sort of structural components uh, through evolution. Right. So it's basically homology. Right. Uh, it's the ability to, you know, your your ancestors will share the same genetic code that you have. Right. So that's that's a cons- conservation of your genes and your you know, genetic information. Um, and so, yeah, so that's that's true. Um, it is a surprise um, because I think, you know, the diversity of teeth um, and sort of diversity of vertebrates, you, you may have sort of, you may think that there, there may be some things out there that just do, do it slightly differently. And, you know, there are actually, if you think about sort of weird vertebrates like lampreys or hagfish, so they have teeth, they're probably made in a very similar way uh, and they're probably arranged in a very similar pattern too, but they're made of keratin, right? And so this is kind of hardened keratin. It's not, not dentine or enamel. Um, and then again, there are things that only make teeth with dentine. So that's kind of strange, maybe. They don't have that enamel cap. Um, even some mammals do that. But yeah, uh, it's, so it's uh, if I could complicate things even more. So enamel isn't enamel across the board, right? So enamel is a sort of hydroxyapatite um, material, super hard. So it's hypermineralized, super hard. Uh, it's the hardest known biological material. In mammals, we call it enamel. In some reptiles, we might call it enamel, but then lower vertebrates, we call it enameloid because it's slightly different in its sort of uh, structural composition. But it's essentially the same material, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. But it's, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but, when you read like dentical papers, they call it enameloid. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And so just not to get bogged down with the sort of chemistry of those things, they're, they're pretty much the same in most respects. It's just the way they're laid down is slightly different, but, but essentially it's the same. Um, and, and I don't know if there are enough differences to say that it isn't enamel or enamel-like tissue, right? And so the dentine seems to be the same, although there are lots of divisions of dentine and lots of definitions of what type of dentine you might have. Um, but yeah, but the, the, the general component of a tooth hasn't really changed that much since its, since its conception uh, 450 or so million years ago, right? So that's quite mind-boggling, I think. That you know, our I think teeth, so too. You know, are pretty much, I mean, pretty much unchanged since since the dawn of teeth. Um, I know. But yeah, I mean, there are there are other strange things that happen. So some animals are able to sequester some mineral uh, or additional minerals within their teeth to sort of strengthen them somehow. I mean, if you think of rodents, uh, you might see that they've got yellow teeth. That's not because they don't wash their teeth or brush their teeth. Uh, it's actually because they sequester this kind of um, the, these iron um, rich um, components of. of uh, into their teeth so they kind of like, they add sort of some it's almost like reinforcement to the teeth to make them slightly oh more gosh. hard uh, or less resistant right so it's kind of interesting and some fish do that too there are some fish like cichlids for example that have uh gold teeth as well pharyngeal gold pharyngeal teeth because they also sequester this uh this iron uh, uh component to their teeth it's kind of interesting so yeah so there yeah. are things that are sort of trying to sort of increase the hardness of their teeth somewhat or at least increase the resistance or resilience of those teeth yeah but yeah i'm surprised too that the the structure of teeth is is essentially unchanged since since the dawn of the dentition the first dentition it's so cool it's so interesting it's it's pretty cool and it's yeah the other thing that I, i don't even i'm just this is the thing that i'm like stuck on right now is like the fossil record and how well that has been conserved because teeth have been conserved for so long Mm-hmm. And we're able to look in the past with the with teeth. I don't know. It's just really cool. <laughs> well, yeah. So that's the thing. You know, teeth is you know they're the hardest known biological material, right? So they are the most readily fossilized 
of all the components of the, of the uh, vertebrate skeleton, right? So typically cartilage doesn't doesn't preserve very well. Bone uh, may or may not preserve well, but teeth really do because they're made of these really super hard things. So they stay hard for long, for longer. So that means that you know it, during fossilization, those things are going to be retained and not rot and be broken down as as readily as bone and, and cartilage and other soft tissues. Yeah. So would you not consider teeth bones? Mm-mm. No, but they have, I mean, of course, bone has lots of, there are lots of shared components. So dentine and bone are quite similar in, in, in structure, although dentine is a lot harder and it's slightly different yeah. in the way it's mineralized. Um, but you, you, uh, yeah, but they're not, no, they're not bone. They're different. Okay. <laughs> they're yes. different. So they're their own, there's bone and there's cartilage and then there's teeth? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're learning something new. We here. made it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've, so I've definitely heard of people refer to teeth as bone. It's incorrect. Um, you know, there may be sort of, an, in some some vertebrates, there's an interesting gradation between dentine, how it's attached to the bone, and bone itself. And that gradation can kind of it can be lost, right? There isn't a really defined boundary in some cases, and so that dentine to bone transition can can be quite tricky. So, mm-hmm. but it's not. Yeah, but they're not bone. Very interesting. Somewhat similar, maybe, but not bone. I will never say they're bone again. I don't actually know if I've ever said that in my life anyway, but... Mm -hmm. I know. I was just like, I feel like I should know this, but I really don't. (laughs) I kind of assumed that they were bone. Right. Yeah. So with all of this, you know, makeup of teeth being conserved through time, towards the end of your introduction, you kind of posed this really interesting question that I liked a lot asking why do teeth differ so greatly in form, function, and pattern. Mm-hmm. Do you have a best guess for this? Do we know, you know, like have a definitive answer to this? Or do you think it's just a broad range of things impacting those three? Probably it's a broad range of things, you know, and I, I guess a lot of this, I mean, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't lose the fact that teeth are necessary to eat, right? And to feed right. and to process food. And so that's really the driver. So the ecological niche, what that organism is trying to eat Right, whether it's acquiring the food and then processing, or just you know just grabbing it, right, and throwing it into the into the gut, um, the the teeth are sort of a, a, a true reflection reflection of the ecological setting, right, and so that's why you can sort of almost define um, the prey based on the teeth, right. So you'll know a meat eater by by its teeth, you'll know a, a herbivore right. by its teeth, and that's the same when you look at sharks too. You can pretty much tell what they're eating by their by the shape and the sort of pattern of their teeth. Um, but yeah, but I think it's a, it's a, I mean, you know, why you have such diversity is quite quite an interesting question. Um, but I think that's the real driver is the ecology is the driver of all that. Um, and sure, there are, you know, there are e- evolutionary shifts that may be slightly d- distant from the ecology itself, right? So group-specific shifts uh, that may lead to a more teeth, less teeth, uh, different, you know, uh, different patterns. But yeah, but essentially it's, it's, it's pretty well conserved. Um, as, a, as a developmental process, but then it sort of shifts, right? So, you know, how you use those conserved elements of development and, and genetics to then shift the dentition to suit whatever it is you, 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 you eat. But it's also one of these chicken egg situations, right? So, you know, you can only eat the things your dentition allows you to eat, right? Uh, but you need that dentition in the first place to then hunt down those things and process them and eat them successfully, right? So what's interesting is that I study other fish too, like puffer fish, right? And it seems like there's, there's a really interesting sort of division um, of um, you know, having a dentition that's able to feed on one thing and then shifting through regenerative time to being able to feed on something else, right? So we did the study where we looked at pufferfish. Uh, they have as larva 
uh, or the larval form of pufferfish, they have you know individual teeth, and they're able to eat these and pluck out uh, zooplankton from the water column, right? But after the process of regeneration, they're able to make they're able to make a beak, right? So they sort of they 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 build up these bands of dentine uh, into this beak, and then they can eat a very specific uh, diet based on whatever niche they've occupied or taken over or taken advantage of in the in the ocean. Um, so I think the, the the idea that I like to run with is this kind of idea that regenerating your dentition multiple times may allow you to be a bit more plastic in the way you shift your dentition uh, to suit different ecological needs. And if you think about this, this is a sort of a, a global issue, right? So, you know, the, the waters are warming typically because of global warming and everything. And so that might shift some of the sort of the, the landscape of, of an ecology, whether it's a coral reef or a deep water environment, or whatever it is. And so being able to regenerate your teeth and shift what those teeth are and how you then are able to process food might might be a huge advantage. Right? Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, and so I think that that's there's something to that. If you stop making your teeth and you you say I'm going to stick with these, thanks, and then everything changes and the stuff you normally eat just dies or moves. What are you going to do, right? Yeah, they're screwed. So, <laughs> so, so if you're so there are some fish, and so I should explain that there are some fish um, that do change the dentition based on the availability of of food. Right? No so cichlids, there are cichlids <laughs> that are able to evolve. Yeah, so over, over regenerative time, right? So they're able to change their dentition to suit the needs ecologically and what food's available. Whether they're eating plants or crushing things like snails, uh, you can actually switch the food and then they'll just switch the dentition. Ba- what? Okay. I just like kind of... So, <laughs> yeah, okay. So I have a follow-up question. Let's say that our climate change like accelerates, and mm-hmm. let's say a certain amount of let's a certain family of fish or whatever that a certain shark eats just like dies off. Do you think that sharks would be able to evolve their tooth shape quick enough mm. to respond to that? Good question. So my my example just now was a cichlid, and they're really incredible in, the, in their in their ability to evolve quickly and speciate very quickly. Sharks right. sharks may not be able to do that, right? Because if you think about sharks and their generational time, it's really slow, right? And right. so, you know, they don't mature until they're sort of, you know, 10, 13, 14, 15 years old in some sharks, right? So that means you have to, you have to spend a long time waiting to that point to, re, to uh, you know, to reproduce. But that slow process of development and, you know, adolescence and maturation, that might mean that those species then may be slightly slower to evolve. I don't know if that's true, but it's 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 a point that you know cichlids are quite incredible. Some teleos fishes are quite incredible yeah. in the way that they're able to, um, uh, to to evolve and speciate more readily than other things. And so I think sharks probably, given the fact that they're sort of long lived, um, long evolving groups of organisms, that maybe they don't evolve so quickly. Um, and so yeah, so my guess is that probably can't happen within a generation like it does in some teleos fishes. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I've thought about like in terms of climate change, I've, I've definitely spent time thinking about what well, would be, would sharks be able to evolve at the speed that we're changing right. the environment that they live in, mm-hmm. but I've never thought about it in terms of their ability to eat things right. and whether or not their teeth would allow them to eat what is then readily available that, that may mm-hmm. be gone at a certain point. Exactly. Right. I mean, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, you know, great whites, right. They, they eat fish or seals, but if there, <laughs> if there were no fish or seals, and maybe no humans yeah. left, right? Um, could they eat shellfish? Could they eat, you know, something else? Could they scrape algae, right? Probably not. So they probably wouldn't survive. But other sharks that may have that slightly shifted dentition might be able to take advantage of that, right? 
So it's kind of an interesting sort of, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all speculation and hypothetical, but it's all interesting. Megan and my brains are blown because both of us, both of us, when we like have a big self combustion event, we just like smile at the and camera like... <laughs> as we process. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's what I like don't even know what to say because we have a whole list of questions and I'm just thinking of so many more questions as we're talking and learning so much that I'm just like, I feel like we could make this a two hour yeah, well, episode. <laughs> I know. I mean, welcome to my life, right? I mean, this is the problem. Trying, yeah. to, trying to focus on a specific question is, is hard. Oh my gosh. That is so cool. Okay. I am going to move on to a question that I'm very curious about. Um, you write mm-hmm. that in heterodontus, like port jacks and sharks, there is no physical separation between tooth types. So are they fused together or what, what does that mean exactly? So yeah, really good question, and maybe <laughs> maybe that was my fault not writing that sentence clear enough. Um, but actually, so 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 what you have typically in mammals is different tooth types, right? If you look at our mouths, we don't have a gap, right? We shouldn't unless you've lost teeth, but you don't have a gap between the incisors, the canines, premolars, and the molars, right? But they are distinct tooth types, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the mouse, which is the model tooth organism, right? So the model organism for tooth development. Uh, mice have incisors and they're separated from their molars by this kind of gap called the diastema, right? Um, and so really the physical separation I was I was alluding to there was this sort of the, the division between a tooth type like the incisors in mouth, mice and the molars. And so if you look at the, 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 the teeth in, in heterodontus and Port Jackson uh, sharks, uh, bull sharks typically uh, as, a, as a group, uh, you'll see that they have these kind of nice... Um, multi-cuspid sort of incisor type teeth at the front and then they sort of as you work your way back through the jaw they sort of become these really elaborate malariform sort of crushing teeth and so what I'm saying is between those two types of teeth there's no there's no distinct boundary they kind of just you know and, and they're individual units right they're not fused but they're individual units and so but you can go from position one two three four five they all look the same and then five six might be starting to sort of fuse in terms of not fuse in terms of uh, forming together, but fuse in terms of shape shift. Right. Right. So they start becoming less incisor form and becoming a bit more shorter and flattened and, and becoming molariform as you, and then, and, and then that shape changes into fully molariform as you get to the back of the jaw. Okay. But then later in the paper, you yeah. mentioned that the tooth roots can be fused. Uh, well, yeah, they're, they're linked. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. So yeah, so in some sharks and rays, um, you might have uh, a, a sort of a linking of the root, but they're still individual, but they just they, they form in a way that means they can kind of fuse together. So they're more robust. And that's kind of important if you're a ray because you have this kind of uh, this pavement of teeth used for crushing. Right. And if you were to crush something really hard and, and, and crack if, if those roots weren't sort of interlocked, I guess is a better term for it, uh, then you might break the, the jaw or the, or the, the tooth pavement, right? Uh, and so you want, want those roots to be sort of nested together or interlocked to some extent. Okay, question. Yep. <laughs> I keep, I have like so many questions in my head. So cookie cutter sharks, right? They like lose that whole bottom like block mm-hmm. of teeth, basically. Yeah. Are there any other sharks that that do that? I mean, there are a whole host of things that are closely related to cookie cutters that do the same. So kite fins and a, a number of other yeah. sharks. Um, but yeah, but that means that actually their their dentition is kind of interesting. If you look at the lower dentition, um, the upper dentition is just completely different. 
and it looks more like a standard shark dentition actually with these kind of nice pointy yeah. teeth that are made in in, in a similar way but uh, the lower jaw dentition you have the the functional positions that are sticking out and then almost 180 degree flip is the replacement teeth that are sort of facing downward right and so once they lose that entire row right and you've probably seen this i mean there are some kids shows that even discuss this right um, but if they lose the entire row that new that that second row has to flip into position and it has to flip almost 180 degrees into position around the jaw in, in order to be functional yeah it's pretty wild so does that mean you talked about right you talked about these like two groups of cells that you have to have to create like a, a blob for lack of a more educated word from that's, me that's a great term um, yeah that that then allows the production of of the tooth mm-hmm. so in a cookie cutter does that mean that there's just like a really big elongated blob that mm. then creates one big tooth no not really so yeah it's kind of tricky and we see this in piranha too right in 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 other fishes but actually what that means is that every one of those teeth are still individual teeth but they develop together basically and actually what that means is as they grow together well they grow uh uh, adjacent to each other but they grow towards each other so that root basically interlocks so they're all linked and so that means they can all come up together and actually in um uh even in piranha those those teeth they're kind of they're, they're, they're little sort of notches that allow connection of those teeth so they're linked together so that when they uh, regenerate um, a new row, they kind of flip into position all at the same time. It's kind of interesting. So yeah, they're still individual teeth. So not one continuous blob, it's individual blobs that as they develop into teeth, those teeth then sort of like kind of not merge together, but they'll sort of link uh, link together uh, towards the root, the base of the tooth towards the root. Yeah. Do you think there's any disadvantage to how sharks have evolved their sequen- uh, like continuous sequential replacement of teeth? Is there any down downfall to that other than like what you were saying, if they can't transition their teeth um, based on prey prey availability? Is there any other thing that you could think yeah. of that might not be great for sharks? Uh, great, great question. Um, to the shark, I don't think so. The only issue is that if the if the system kind of goes awry and it overgrows, or you know, you make you, you produce teeth at a rate you can't sustain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think there's a, there's a disadvantage. I, I do, you know, sometimes I do have people that will say to me either you know talks or when I talk to the media or whatever, or if I talk to the public, there might be some people say, well, does that mean that humans will get shark's teeth? And that's the real disadvantage, right? So if we had a dentition like sharks, we couldn't we we couldn't deal with all those teeth, right? It would be a problem continuous growing teeth you'd be like oh no i can't take anymore right (laughs) but in sharks and the way they live and the way they sort of you know their their, sort of their status in an ecosystem those teeth are perfectly sort of um they're perfectly formed and perfectly sort of um uh developed for their their need Mm -hmm. um and actually the rate of teeth in sharks is different right so some some sharks will make lots of teeth and replace them quickly and other sharks will make lots of teeth and just make them very slowly because they don't need them as much so um yeah so that's the i guess yeah so there's a way the system can slow down or speed up based on what it needs kind of ecologically or uh, dietary what's um, what's slow yeah. replacement for a shark good quite uh, yeah again who knows right so yeah. <laughs> the great white i think probably replaces its teeth quite slowly because it doesn't need them and it all it's all based on metabolism and the ability to digest food too right so if you're a great white shark and you've just eaten a chunk of seal or a seal head or something right you're not going to you're not going to process that that food i mean it's not going to be ground down or anything it's going to be plopped into the stomach and it's going to sit there until it digests and so that could take weeks and so if you were to make two more rounds of tooth replacement in those two in the, in that time 
that's completely pointless. Oh my gosh, yeah, right? that makes sense. And so, so, so the idea is the great whites, you know, and you often see great whites with with damaged teeth too, because you know that tooth will come out eventually, but it's not really that necessary because they're not eating sort of hard prey or they're not eating stuff on a sandy bottom, so their teeth are grinding down or wearing away. Um, so they're kind of waiting for that food to to digest before they then go eat again, and so they don't need to eat every day or every you know two hours or something, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, and so that's sort of you know that's slow. I think so. Great whites probably make teeth at a slower rate. Uh, you know, whale sharks may also make teeth at a slower rate because they don't need them because they're filter feeders, but they still have teeth on their jaws, right? Yeah, <laughs> so cool. So if Oh, I don't know how to phrase this question. Um, do the cells that are creating the teeth, do they know when to make a tooth or not make a tooth based off of space availability? Good. That's a really good question because they do. <laughs> and so if you think about the, the sort of the deepest part of the, of the jaw of the shark, right, where uh, you've gone through all those stages of tooth development because you, you're going through the conveyor belt, right? So you're following the dental amina into the jaw right? And now you sort of, you're stuck at the end where the end of the cartilage is. That's where you get the new teeth forming, right? And so that sort of scalloped kind of um, trench almost within the cartilage is the sort of the, 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 the end point. So the cells can't go further than that end point, right? So new teeth will form there, right? Um, and so within that, you have different pockets of cells within that continuous dental amina that, that spans the entirety of the jaw, um, you have little pockets of cells, and each of those little pockets are associated with each family of tooth, right? So every one functional tooth has a set of teeth behind it. That's what we call a family of teeth, right? And so um, if you think about that right at the end of the jaw in that furrow, right, um, there are some positions that are making teeth actively, and there are some neighboring positions that aren't making teeth actively. They're in a period of stasis. <clears throat> it depends on the type of shark uh, and whether they have this, kind of, this system called crowd, uh, uh, jaw crowding. Uh, or tooth crowding, um, whether you'll have all those positions firing and making teeth at the same time or slightly offset, right? And so this, the shark that we we study, the cat shark, uh, does have jaw or tooth crowding, right? So it has lots of teeth. There's not very much space between those teeth. Uh, and the way they do that is by making teeth in a very specific order, right? So if you think about the very first blobs that are forming in the embryonic shark jaw, right? So these are superficial blobs uh, forming on the, the, the edge of the jaw, right? And you have position, now think about the numbers, right? So positions two, four, six, eight around the jaw, right? And they're all made at the, almost the same time, right? There's a sequential process to that, but essentially they're appearing at the same time. Okay, what about positions one, three, five, seven, right? So they're the sort of the intermediate positions that come slightly later, right? But every one of those blobs as it starts forming is on a time sequence. So it's, it's already started the clock, right? So in a very specific time, based on the cells and the genes that are being signaled and all the proteins that are acting around that, um, that one tooth will then make a second tooth at a specific time point, right? Um, and so if you think, uh, this is kind of complicated, but that offset means that the, in the furrow of the jaw, where you're making new teeth as an adult shark, uh, uh, one family, so a family in position two is making a tooth, but family in position one and three are not making teeth at that point, right? So they've stopped and they're waiting yep. because they're on a different time course to the others. So every other tooth is making a slightly different tooth at a slightly different time. So that means you get this kind of zigzag pattern. That means you can crowd more teeth into the jaw and have this kind of like alternate pattern, right? 
So to answer your question, yes, the cells know when, you know, when to make a tooth, when to stop making a tooth. And that's all based on signals from the neighboring tissue and the neighboring tooth positions as well. <laughs> right. So, so, so essentially the, 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 I guess the bare bones, the, the, the building blocks of all this, right. So the, the, the basis of all this is that once you start making a tooth, as a little blob, that thickened blob, this circular little blob that then grows and thickens into the mesenchyme, right? That's kind of an interesting little unit because around that, uh, the cells around that are signaling these inhibitory factors, right? So these things are telling the neighboring teeth, don't, don't make a tooth here, give us some space, right? And so if you think about the signals that then move away from that, that, that epicenter of the tooth, right? They get weaker. And then after a time, there's a threshold, right? The weakened signal then is overridden by an activatory signal that then makes a tooth. And so there's a gap between those teeth, right? That's why you, you have a very specific pattern in sharks because they know, every blob knows, you know, how big to make that blob, how big to make the tooth. And then the sort of space around it is already sort of inbuilt into that system by these inhibitory signals that are being sort of shot out from that tooth. That is so incredible. Right? It's, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. This, kind of, this then is a reaction diffusion mechanism by which the cells all sort of signal to each other. They all know what those... Uh, distance markers are basically between those units. Yeah. So the whole, you like, I was thinking of another question as you were talking and you actually answered it as you were talking, but we had Yulia Tersher on a few weeks ago talking about different teeth mm -hmm. morphologies and how there's sexual dimorphism between teeth sometimes, but it can be based on season. So like during the breeding season, males teeth will be different. And I, I feel mm -hmm. like how you just explained all of that actually finally makes that make sense for me. Like there's all these cells that are communicating and saying like, Hey, not right now. We have this tooth. All of that just like pieced together for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of interesting that, you know, so and that sort of touches on something we, we talked about a little bit earlier on, which is, you know, do, do sharks have the sort of the plasticity to, to change their dentition? And in that case they do. Right. So, so hormones really play a, play a huge part in this. Right, so how hormones interact with development, right, is kind of interesting. So yeah, so these, so, so some of these sharks do change the dentition based on their sort of like, you know, breeding seasons and uh, and other factors. You know, and you know, fem I, guess, I guess males and females have to change the dentition to allow them to do different things so they can actually, you know, copulate and mate. Um, so yeah, so that's one way, and and the ability to regenerate your teeth is important than that because that means that you can shift the shape because you're changing your teeth. You're 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 um, you're going through different generations of teeth quite readily. So that means you can change based on hormones your tooth shape to then put you in a better position to mate and do all those other things. We didn't follow our outline at all, <laughs> but I've just learned so. Like I feel like that. I could go back and read the paper again and understand a lot more than I did when I first read it, even though we didn't go <laughs> right. as straight with the outline. That was awesome. I think that, that means I need to be a better writer. That's the, that's the problem. No, I, no, I think that, I think that it's it, like, this happens with other papers for me as well, where when I really don't know that much about an area, then it's, it's, of course, it's going to be so much harder to read papers mm -hmm. that are specific to that. Right. Um, which I don't think makes anyone a bad writer. It's just like not every paper is expected to be like an introduction paper to sure. what yeah, teeth yeah, right. are. Like, how are you going to write a paper that has a whole introduction to teeth and then explains the mm -hmm. research that you did? Um, but that are this episode just like, wow, it's like. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this this episode like truly 
hit the point of why we're doing this podcast. Like we had so many questions. To be honest with you, we were a bit intimidated by this paper because we're not experts in this field. And we're like, oh no, are we even going to be able to make conversation about this paper? <laughs> but instead, like you just blew our minds and I feel like we learned so much. So thank you so much for explaining all of that. Yeah, no trouble was... at all. <laughs> no, yeah, thanks for the invite. It's been, it's been really yeah. fun. But you know, that's the, this is a good analogy for science generally, right? So, you know, I, I wouldn't have imagined that my career would have gone through these kind of different trajectories but you know it's that's what happens right you sort of learn new things and you go oh hang on that's really cool that's not what i intended to do but that's really cool i'm going to follow this path now and i think this conversation probably just shows a little bit about that sort of that that process of of, of, of science thought right and uh not just following a specific path but allowing your creativity sort of you know and also your you know um the things that sort of really interest you and um and those little moments where you think hang on i hadn't thought anything about that but now i'm going to be doing this because that's really cool Oh my gosh, it really is. 100%. <laughs> is there anything that we didn't talk about in the paper that you think is important that we should bring up before we wrap up? Uh, good, uh, good question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing is that sharks are really incredible, right? So they are masters of regeneration, but not in the way that most people think, right? So, you know, if you talk to people, they're like, oh, sharks don't get cancer and they're able to regenerate everything really, really readily. You know, it's not necessarily true. They do get cancers and they can't regenerate everything. Um, but actually the one thing they can regenerate is their teeth. And they're, they're able to do that because uh, they have maintained this embryonic tissue, this dental lamina, right? So it, it forms during embryogenesis, so really early in developmental time, um, and they don't change it, right? So they, they use that dental lamina, that embryonic tissue, to make their teeth, and they continue developing teeth all throughout their life, right? That's pretty incredible. And, and there are very rare, I mean, there are very few opportunities to study these kind of embryonic tissues that don't die, that are maintained in their original state, right? So that embryonic tissue is still there in an adult great white. Um, it's still there in a 450-year-old Greenland shark, right? That kind of blows, blows my, mind my mind that there's yeah. this kind of embryonic... Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's almost the, the exact same tissue that formed as an embryo, right? And so, you know, give, given all that, you know, having the opportunity to study that tissue and understand its, its capacity to regenerate and, and what it can tell humans about regeneration generally and tooth regeneration i think it's just incredible so i'm i'm very lucky to be able to yeah. this stuff. thank you so much we learned so much i'm going to be thinking about this for the rest of the day for sure <laughs> um well yeah thanks for the invite yeah of course yeah we're now to our favorite part of the episode where we ask if you have a field story you'd be willing to share i know are you in the field as much are you in the lab more it can be you know, really from any yeah, so I guess that's a, that's a good question. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm getting more and more in the field. I mean, actually, you can imagine that most of the work we do is um, it's basically in the lab, um, looking at sort of dead things and studying cells and and, and 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 things that aren't moving as much. But yeah, we yeah, but I'm starting to go in the field a bit more. I mean, we've been on boats. Um, I've been out with OSearch and a few of the other groups um, looking at big sharks and trying to scrape <laughs> scrape dental lamina cells uh, from great whites um which we did and we were able to keep yeah I would love and so, to see that shark so, dentist yeah, yeah, exactly right and so so we're, we're actually trying to sort of think about uh the cells in a bit more detail so we're trying to take some cells um from embryos from adults uh, and grow them up in the lab um and so because of that we we do get to do these silly things like try and sort of like you know scrape uh some some oral cells out of a great white's mouth 
Um, so that's kind of strange. I guess that's not something that I would have predicted we would do. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, no, yeah, but... not in your that's life bingo card. <laughs> no, that's right. Exactly. Do you have um, any pictures of you doing that? Um, you know, th- so I, I don't want to say too much, but Osearch, the team we were out with, uh, they're very, uh, they, 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 they hold their, their cards close to their chest. So they don't allow us to do very much with any of the footage. So, um, yeah, we, we don't have images of that. We were not able to do any of that stuff. Um, oh, but yeah, but I do, I do other field work. So actually in the summer, last summer and this summer, I'm going out to Friday Harbor. Uh, I'm going to uh, see you at Friday Harbor because oh, I'm also right. going. Are you there too? That's yes. great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was there last summer, my first summer out there and I'm, I'm there teaching the REU program. Um, so yeah, so, um, but that's really cool because it, it allowed me to think about a whole different group of fish, which are cl- closely related to sharks, actually, the, the chimeras. Um, these sort of weird deep water things that are related to, to sharks, so cartilaginous fishes and chondrichthyons, but uh, not sharks. Uh, yeah, so and so I was able to dive and and capture on on film uh, these chimeras. And actually, one of the things we were studying was this uh, tenaculum, this kind of uh, forehead uh, clasper that they have, right? And it's this weird club shaped thing that has a dentition, right? It's a really interesting thing. It kind of looks like the the, the oral teeth of sharks, uh, but they're able to shoot this thing out, right? Yes. And, we don't really, and, and so it's interesting. So they use that, they, we think, to clamp onto the female during copulation. But we don't really know very much about this thing. We don't know much about so these So weird. And so, yeah, so I, I didn't on, know that. Yeah. So I went, I went on this night dive. So I was studying this. We had, we had dead, we had dead uh, chimeras. And we had something we'd caught uh, via trawler. Uh, but I actually wanted to see them in the wild. So I think it was two nights before we left. Um, I did a night dive uh, with a colleague who studies octopus uh, at Friday Harbor. And uh, we did a night dive. And we saw a few of these chimeras and we have one that came up to me and didn't really know what to do and then just shot its tenaculum <laughs> at me. And so I've got it on film. But I, I don't know if it was like a defensive thing or whether it liked me and it was like, you know, <laughs> you know a, a cat purring or something. I don't know what it was. But it, but you it are didn't, one it attractive chimera. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't take off. It, stayed. it actually stayed with us for about 15 minutes. Uh, circling and coming back and it wanted to be played we were able to stroke it it was incredible um, wow but yeah so that was the thing we were studying this really weird uh structure and we were able to sort of film it during an eye dive and it ha- just shot this tenaculum at me and i was like whoa that's so crazy and i was like because you know I, I it was cold and it was dark and i was like i hope i got it on film i hope i got it on film <laughs> so i did i did have it and I, I do have a video of it so yeah can you share that video with of us? course yeah yeah sure <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I think I've got one where I, sl- where I do a slow mo of it, so you can actually see it a bit more. Yes. Uh, oh wow, I'm so excited. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If you're willing, we'd love to use that to help advertise for the episode. Yeah, of course. No trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this oh this might be one of my favorite field stories. To be honest, <laughs> we got the bonus field story. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's what, that might be my favorite story ever. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> because you know, it's it's often difficult. You know, and I think you know, I'm not an ecologist. I'm not a sort of a, a true marine biologist, so I don't get to swim with you know the, the, my my model organism. Um, and because usually they're in the lab and they're dead. But this was one of those opportunities where it was just like everything came together in that moment. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. Okay. We have to wrap this up because I do think that we could talk for two hours <laughs> easily. Um, but Dr. Fraser, where can our sharkies follow your work? Um, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, which I post a bunch of things on Twitter. Uh, I think my handle is very similar. It's Gareth J. Fraser. 
uh, that's it. Uh, no Great. spaces or gaps. Uh, or my website, Perfect. which is uh, Fraser Lab. So Fraser-Lab.net. And that's where all, all my research and, you know, lab stories are posted. So. Amazing. Okay, we're going to follow you and keep learning so much about teeth. Thank you so much for being here. This has been incredible. Yeah, thanks for your questions, guys. And until next time, swim you later. <laughs>